Bible worm, Bible worm, reading the Bible with Bible worm. Welcome to Bible Worm, getting to the core of the biblical text. I'm Dr. Amy Robertson, Director of Lifelong Learning at Congregation Or Hadash in Sandy Springs, Georgia. And I'm Dr. Robert Williamson, Professor of Religious Studies at Hendricks College and the founding pastor of Mercy Community Church in Little Rock. We're here every week to discuss the biblical text, both as biblical scholars and as people of faith, one Jewish and one Christian. This week, we read John chapter 4, verses 1 through 42, a story of Jesus' encounter with a Samaritan woman. What starts off as an almost comical, who's on first kind of scene, where the woman and Jesus seem to be speaking right past each other, ends with a gorgeous and profound and huge statement from this woman that Jesus may be not just the Messiah, as the biblical tradition has understood that, but the Savior of the world. Our reading moves freely between the metaphorical, the metaphysical, and truly just plain sense. These are two humans who are working past social norms, and the element of the conversation that captures her imagination is not lofty metaphor, but it's enough. And when it comes down to it, enough is enough. Thanks for listening. Hey, Bobby. Hey, Amy. How are you this week? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. My rabbi and I have this new like semi tradition. I feel like we've done it enough times now that maybe it's a tradition of having a running meeting on Sunday mornings. Oh, nice. Like early, like six o'clock in the morning on Sundays. Yeah. And she is a much better runner than I am. So it's like her slowest, most relaxing day and like shortest distance. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> trying to keep up with her. I don't think I would be able to have a meaningful, thoughtful conversation whilst running. It's actually really good. Like it's a very different kind of meeting, but it's like, it's like pulling ideas all the way through to their logical conclusion and like like a lot of like oh, yeah. ideating and Cuz like what else are you going to do? It's yeah, like it's not we're not going to like get things done. It's not like, you know, yeah. tactical check things off the list kind of meaning, but it's great. I recommend it. Brainstorm running bible worm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Worms don't have legs. I mean, I didn't mean that quite so literally. <laughs> you got to take me a little bit like the gospel writer, John, Amy. Sometimes oh I say gosh, things that are Bobby. literal, and sometimes I say things that are metaphorical. And what I meant was, I don't know whether it's little or metaphorical. I, I mean, you and I should go for a run and talk about the Bible and put it on the air. Not that we should dress up like worms and worm oh, even better as fast as we can. Holiday, yes. The next major holiday on which, okay, I'm coming to Atlanta for the for the whatever that run is. I was going to say Cooper River Bridge, but that's in Charleston. On the July 4th run. What's that one and called? And we're going to do it as worms. And we're going to dress up like worms. And while we're running, we're going to talk about a biblical text, and then we're going to put it on the air. This will be the most amazing. And it's only going to go to Patreon subscribers. You want to be at a high level for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, so that's not happening. Wow, that's... that. See, that's like the kind of an idea that would come up on a run. It's just like free-flowing. Yeah. 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 Good. 
So great. we don't need well, to run. I like that. You've already yeah. got the endorphins flowing. <laughs> That's great. That's mm-hmm. fantastic. All right. Okay. All um, right. So, so as you mentioned, you know, John sort of talks um, on multiple levels at a time, and sometimes it's metaphor, and sometimes yeah. it's not, and sometimes someone's speaking a metaphor, but someone else is speaking literally. <laughs> yeah. This text today, Bobby, yeah. it's John chapter four, verses one through forty-two. It's long. Long. It's called the Woman at the Well. I think by the Narrative Lectionary, that's their yeah. little title for it. Yeah. There were several places along the way where I, it it was like a th- in my mind it was like a Three Stooges routine. Like who like who's on first? Like what? Yeah, that was Abbott and Costello. Ha- but yeah. Who? Oh. Oh, dear. <laughs> those guys. Whatever. Those guys that my dad likes watching. I don't, yeah. I don't really follow all them. Yeah. It, it was, I, I was challenged. It is a challenging text, yes. And all of those things that you described are happening. It is functioning on multiple levels, and the characters are functioning not always on the same level, and the reader is kind of caught in the middle. Yes. So I... And especially if this not is a meant text you comical. haven't worked with before. <laughs> well, yeah. I don't know. It's interesting with John. Like we talked about that a little bit with Nicodemus. Yeah. And whether you're, they're trying to make you laugh at Nicodemus or not. Mm-hmm. And also I was saying at the end of that episode that maybe they're sort of inviting the reader into that too. So we can sort of laugh at ourselves for reading it literally and then being like, oh my goodness, like I'm like that person. So I, yeah, I don't know. I think that's kind of interesting to have this a similar experience to what the character in the story maybe is having. Having. It's happening. happening. Yeah. In Havend. Yeah. It was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it's a, what I would imagine the gospel would have a different assessment of this character overall. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. We'd, we'll see. Enough. Yes. Enough with the introduction. We got 42 Let's, verses to go. <laughs> we have 42 verses to go. So yeah. we're actually going to dive in and read the first little section and then pause after that for a little background and explanation of, okay. of yeah, issues that, that come up there. So. Chapter four, verse one, I'm reading from the NRSV. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard, Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus himself, but his disciples who baptized, he left Judea and started back to Galilee, but he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sichar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. Okay, so I feel like there are already many things that we could ask. Let's put aside for a moment the what the Pharisees has heard and what the Pharisees thought about all the baptizing. Yeah. I wonder, when we get to verse 4 and it says, He left Judea and he started back to Galilee— Mm-hmm. But he had to go through Samaria. Yeah. That word but in there seems like a little flag. Like uh yeah. like it was a big deal or less than ideal. I don't know. What what should we know about Samaritans or Samaria that might help us understand why this could be complicated? Yeah, so I'm going to answer one part of that question, and I'm going to put the other part back to you. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I'll answer the part about the geographical realities, and then I'll, I'm going to ask you about the, like, what do we do with Samaritans af- after that? So interestingly, Samaria is a region that is not a Jewish region. It's 
inhabited by Samaritans, but it's kind of in the middle of Judea, which is where Jerusalem is, and then Galilee, which is way up north next to the Sea of Galilee, which is where Jesus was born, is where a lot of the ministry takes place. And so you've got Jewish territory north and south separated by Samaritan territory in the middle. And so the easiest way, the quickest way to get from Judea to Galilee would be just to go through Samaria. Now, Jews and Samaritans, for a variety of reasons that we can talk about in a minute, didn't like each other, generally speaking. And so oftentimes, people who are traveling from Judea to Galilee would actually cross the Jordan, go up the Transjordan, and then cross back over and go around Samaria. So Mm -hmm. it was possible to get from Judea to Galilee without going through Samaria, but you had to go way out of your way. Now, this says Jesus had to go through Samaria, which is kind of interesting because in the plainest sense, he didn't have to. He could have made a choice to go across, go up Mm -hmm. the Transjordan and come back across, which is kind of interesting because it invites sort of a theological reading of the had to. Mm -hmm. The had to there in Greek, ede, has a sense of like, for a purpose. And so one can read this as like, Jesus had to go through Samaria. Elsewhere, John uses it that had to as like, this was Jesus's, like this was God's plan for Jesus. Like he had to do this thing because it was part of the plan. And so I, to me, that's an interesting way to read it as to say, Jesus had to go through Samaria, not for just merely practical reasons, but part of his mission necessitated him, his, his mission from God necessitated him going through Samaria. That is important. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a really important nuance there. Yeah. I think so. And it's one of those things with John where it's not entirely clear, like which way he means it or whether he means it both ways and what he thinks the, the reader, you and I, which one he thinks we're going to pick up. It's one, it's one of those things. Mm-hmm. But I do think it adds some some weight. Yeah. What can you sure. tell us about Samaritans? Okay. So here is I'm not an expert in Samaritans, but here's what I here's what I would say about them. They are remnants of the descendants of the northern tribes, the ten tribes, but they did not get exiled. So when the people, the, the Judeans who had gone into Babylonian exile came back to Judea, back to Jerusalem. The Samaritans were there. Mm-hmm. And they opposed rebuilding the temple. Yeah. Which was a big problem for yeah. the Judeans who came back. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, that, that just caused this point of friction that it was, you know, sort of like two peoples living alongside each other, but kind of trying to stay away from each other. Yeah. That's what I know. I know. That's really helpful. And, you know, both the, the, what you were setting up there, which is exactly right, is both the Samaritans and the Judean Jews think of themselves as the descendants of Abraham, the Mm -hmm. true inheritors of the Mosaic law. The Samaritans read the Pentateuch. They didn't actually... Mm -hmm read the rest of the Hebrew scriptures, but they had the first five books and they read a slightly different version of those than what mm-hmm, was preserved in mm-hmm, the Jewish tradition. Mm-hmm. So they're really close to each other, but they have some big disagreements. The, fund- the sort of biggest one that you're talking about is who's the legitimate inheritors of the covenant, which is like, that's a big, <laughs> that's <laughs> that's a big, a big issue. There's also an issue with Samaritans and Jews about where's the legitimate temple. 
mm-hmm. were saying that the um, Samaritans opposed the rebuilding of the Jerusalem temple, which is right. And they also built their own temple in, on Mount Gerizim. And they said, this is the place where the Lord has caused his name to dwell. And so if you worship in Jerusalem, you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. And the Jews, of course, said the opposite. And so mm-hmm. there's this sort of like competing setups for how one properly worships God. Yep. Sometimes the relationship between Jews and Samaritans actually got kind of violent. So John Hyrcanus, who was a Maccabean ruler around the year of 150 BCE, so 200 years before where our text is set or thereabouts, uh, actually took a army into Samaria and destroyed the temple at Mount Gerizim. And so, you know, this is not just simply like we don't get along. Mm-hmm. There is some animosity between these two groups. Mm-hmm. That's really helpful. And and we'll get later in this reading to some conversation about where worship can and should happen. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing that really stands out to me in this introduction is the placement of the well. Yeah. And, you know, it's not, so. so on the one hand, you could say like, well, it's the well, like that's where people got water. It's like saying I like bumped into you at the grocery store. Like, yeah. you know, things happen at the well because people go to the well. And I think there's some truth to that. Like that would be a place where people would be. But there also are some big stories in that Hebrew yeah. Bible about meeting at the well, especially courtship that comes yeah. out of men and women meeting yes. at the well. And I don't know if there's any of that like, that sort of man woman courtshipy i mean i'm not saying that jesus is flirting with the woman at the well, well but yeah. i don't know if that i don't know if that layer is in play here but you know jacob meets rachel at the well yeah we meet uh rebecca who will become isaac's wife at the well you know robert alter in his book the art of biblical narrative wrote a very famous uh chapter about type scenes where when you see Mm. this thing unfolding here, you kind of know. And his example is like, if you see a Western movie and you see somebody in the, you know, the white hat and somebody in the black Mm -hmm. hat, whatever those problems of those tropes are, like, you know, what's what's about to happen. And then you Mm -hmm. can play with the type to like change meaning. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think you're exactly right. Like in a biblical imagination, when you see a man sitting by a well and a woman shows up or vice versa, Mm -hmm. that's where your head goes. It's like, here's Mm -hmm. a betrothal scene. And that's Mm -hmm. really interesting, especially Mm -hmm. when Jacob's name is invoked, who has Mm -hmm. quite a famous betrothal scene or not betrothal scene, but he meets Rachel there. who becomes his wife. Yeah. Yeah. That's really helpful. Okay, good. So then I will hold all those details sort of in mind reading this, yeah. knowing that they can be played with, but they can be, they've been activated. Should we play with them? Like that's another question, but like they're <laughs> very much, <laughs> the author has activated that realm yeah. of metaphor for or, uh, symbolism for sure. Yeah. By the way, uh, Jacob, this is the, well, Jacob left to his sons, uh, to Joseph, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the mm-hmm. well Jacob had given to his son, Joseph, the Samaritans ch- traced their lineage to Ephraim and, and Manasseh. Who were oh, Joseph's sons? The sons of Joseph. So, in an interesting way, this particular well. So, it's bringing in that marriage stuff, which was actually not at this well, right? Mm-hmm. But it's also bringing in this kind of like this is the well that belonged to Jacob, and so if it's a Samaritan well, like that's a pretty strong claim to descendant to be a descendant of Jacob, right? So, when they say we are the inheritors of the promise, like 
you're drinking out of the well <laughs> that Jacob yeah. left to Joseph, right? Yeah. And so I think that's important too. Oh, gosh. I could like go into all kinds of stuff about Ephraim and Menashe, but this is a long text. I think we should yeah. <laughs> go. I think we should move, yes. move forward. Yes. Okay. So picking up then in verse 7. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us the well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Okay, so I just, okay, this is like not the point, but I just think <laughs> maybe it is the point. I think it's a su- this is such a funny exchange. Like Jesus asks for water. Mm-hmm. Then the woman raises this, you know, issue that Jews and Samaritans don't usually yeah. do this kind of thing. And then Jesus answers, if you knew the gift of God and if you knew who I was, asking for a drink, you would have asked me for a drink. Yeah. And I would have given you living water. Yeah. But it's just like, I have to, I kept reading the story over and over again and being like, wait, are you actually thirsty, Jesus? <laughs> like, did you want water or are you playing a game? I mean, he's been on a long journey and verse six told he us that he was tired. Water. Yes. Yeah. So he's got to be thirsty. But, you know, you know, you know, people who are always on their thing, you know what I mean? Like they've got. Yeah. Yeah. They've got their mission. Like Jesus has his mission. And no matter what happens, that's what they're going to talk about. I sort of feel like that's the way Jesus is right here. Like, I've been traveling. I'm thirsty. But I see yeah. an opportunity. Okay. So so now we have water in the well and living water. Yeah. Living water, what it evokes for me yeah. is the waters of the mikvah, like the waters oh. of the ritual bath, which yeah. have to be quote unquote living waters, which means they have like a, it's, let's see, it, it doesn't have to be a stream or a lake, but it has to like be able to, rainwater has to be able to fall into it. So like if you have, yeah. if you have a ritual bath inside, there has to be some way for fresh water to be able to fall from the sky yes. and wind up in there. Yes. That's, what sort of makes it living. Yeah, that's so interesting. But I don't think Jesus is talking about a mikvah. Well, I, so I have not thought about the ritual aspects, although now you've got my wheels turning again, which I, which I, which I love. But what, I mean, sort of if you step a back, take a step back from the mikvah yeah. and say the point there is living water means it's got to be water that has access to rainwater. It's got to mm-hmm. be fresh flowing which, you know, it has not been collected in a cistern, I think, is maybe maybe the key. Like, it's not runoff water. Yeah. And so that is 
the plain sense meaning of what Jesus is saying here. It's like, you have well water, but I've got, you know, like fresh water. And that's the way she seems to be hearing him. Mm -hmm. Now, the living water also has a obviously kind of a connection. Like we just talked last time about people must be born of water and the spirit. So there is some Mm -hmm. kind of clear connection between when John talks about water, he is thinking in spiritual terms. And so living water in that sense is some kind of spiritual essence that like enlivens people. So here we've got that two levels thing. Mm -hmm. She's talking about, she thinks he's talking about rainwater. He's talking about spiritual water. But this thing you've introduced about ritual water is fascinating to me. It's like a third term that I don't quite know what to do with, but I think I it seems, it seems relevant. Okay. So I don't know how exactly this thought will tie in, but, but maybe it will. <laughs> as, as she goes on and says, you have no bucket and the well is deep. <laughs> yeah. How can I enter again into my mother's womb? The, okay. But the first thing I thought was that she was speaking metaphorically. Oh, interesting. Like, what? then I started being like, what's the living water? What is the well water? What's the bucket? Like, the well is deep. That sounds like uh. that could be. But I don't think that's. But I think I, I ultimately dismissed that because I think I think sh- I think it is more like the comical. She's she thinks we're just talking about water. That's the way that I read it. I would have to think more about your idea of maybe she's kind of playing with the idea back to him. I read this very much as sort of a replay of the Nicodemus conversation that we just had. You know, the terms are different, but the the conversation is the same conversation to a point anyway. Yeah. We get this issue here again in verse 10 where Jesus seems to think she should have recognized him. Mm. Like he's just a random guy. (laughs) You know, like, that's so interesting to me in the Gospel of John, this expectation that people, like, Jesus does recognize people when he sees them, and there's sort of this expectation that people also ought to recognize Jesus, but no no one ever does. Like, even John the Baptist was like, I didn't know who he was till that dove landed on his head or whatever. I just think that's interesting. It's interesting. I didn't, I I wondered about what sort of intonation to give that Mm. (laughs) verse. I didn't necessarily see it as she should have recognized him or like realistically should have. I don't know. But more as the sort of vain hope of like, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd be very impressed or, you know, like. Yeah. But I'm not sure that's right. Yeah. Because even the way you shook your head just there when you were (laughs) saying that sort of implied like you ought to know who you're talking to. Like when people say that, like if only you knew who you were talking to, it always implies to me that they think I should know, but. That they actually should know. Yeah, maybe maybe that's right. Maybe that's what do you make of her? Like, I mean, her her first response is, like, you're a Jewish man. I'm a Samaritan woman. Like, we should not be having this conversation. <laughs> what? What do you make of that? I actually wondered, reading that, I don't know, do you have any sense of whether the this sort of rejection, I guess I got a little bit of it from your introduction, Rejection between Samaritans and Jews was mutual. Yeah. It it was mutual. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, people miss that. New Testament readers miss that sometimes. Yeah. But, yeah, but that's exactly right. Yeah, it's not just that right. 
that Jews, it's not just that Jews look down at Samaritans and Samaritans feel left out. The Samaritans no. don't want, they don't want to go to that party. They both <laughs> think that they're the legitimate inheritors of the promise. And they each think that the other is yeah. kind of a, mm-hmm. a misinterpretation. Yeah. And so, and, you know, in the parable of the good Samaritan, which we talked about last year, mm-hmm. that's a Samaritan in Judea. And so he's out of his place. And so, you know. There's all those dynamics, but this is the opposite of that now where Jesus is in Samaria. So he's the one that's out of bounds and he shouldn't be there, right? In the, in the technical sense. Yeah. So it goes both ways. Yeah. yeah. What, what difference does that make in your, in your reading? I just, I don't know. It really colors the story for me of whether, whether Jesus is somehow extending an mm. olive branch to a to a group that has felt rejected by the group that he's a part of, or I, I mean, you could, I guess, still see it as an olive branch, but without mm-hmm. the, that kind of power differential. It, it makes it feel less paternalistic. Is that kind of it? Like the, I don't know, the. Yeah. Like there's a way of reading this. That's like sort of parallel to like white savior. Yeah. In the contemporary world. Like I am coming to you and to your place and. I'm doing you the honor and saying, of give me a drink. <laughs> yeah. I'm doing you the honor of asking you for a drink. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't know what, maybe one could read it that way, but that's not the way I initially read it. I read it more as Jesus has entered into the territory of people that his people traditionally do not like, who traditionally do not like his people. Yeah. And he is yeah. engaged in a very mundane, on the face of it, a very mundane conversation. Just like, hey, you're a person. I'm a person. I'm thirsty. You've got water. Can I have some? Yep. 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 I mean, I guess her response really sort of underscores how deep that fissure is between the people. Like, I can't know. I can't even talk to you about giving you some water. Yeah. So I read it not necessarily as her saying, like, I don't want to. Mm. But maybe, like, what would people think? Like, this is just not done. My people aren't going to like this. Your people aren't going to like this. Mm-hmm. And so I tend to read it as like there are social restrictions that prevent us from having this interaction. Whether we agree with them or not, mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. are there. And this makes me, this makes her uncomfortable. I'm trying to sort of enter into her mindset in that way. Yeah. With just that the weird weird conversation that unfolds after (laughs) it and how that sort of context shapes uh shapes how we understand you know jesus saying if you if you knew who i was you would have asked me for living water so then maybe that that actually does help me think about it because yeah if she had understood who jesus was she would have reached across that divide and ask for water and mm-hmm. he would have responded with living mm-hmm. water. Yeah. So it really sort of, it, it, for me, that takes out a little bit like I'm famous and you should do what I'm asking you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and more, there is something about who I am that makes this reaching across the aisle. Yeah. Different. Yeah, I love that, Amy. And we talked about their interaction backwards. Like we started with Jesus saying this, if you recognize me, and then we talked about, Mm -hmm. but if you read it the actual way it's narrated, then she encounters him. When when he speaks to her, 
she sees him as a Jewish man. Mm-hmm. And there are social restrictions about that. By the way, I think those restrictions are both ethnic, religious, Samaritan Jew, and also gender. Mm-hmm. So in I know for, sh- for sure in a first century Jewish context, a man talking to a woman was com- that was complicated. Mm-hmm. And we see some things in, you know, in the Mishnah, Mishnah vote and elsewhere about how a man shouldn't, you know, a teacher shouldn't interact with, with women who are not related to him and, and things like that. So she encounters him in that social context. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus comes back with, if you could see past that and understood who I was, then we could like have a real conversation. Yeah. I like, I like that. So I, that, I like that a lot better than. <laughs> you should recognize me, but you should be able to see past some of these culturally constructed identities and and really see me. And if you were able to do that, then then we would have a different conversation. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's right. I think that's right. But she doesn't quite get it right away. She does She's not asking get about it. his bucket. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Still thinking very practically. Yeah. It's interesting that she says, you aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? Mm-hmm. I think John's messing with us. That's what <laughs> yeah. What, what, what do you do with her comment there? I mean, I guess I, from her perspective, yeah. I see it as this, is, this well was a gift from Jacob. Yeah. What do you mean you have living water? You don't have living water. Where do you get it from? You don't even have a bucket. And we have yeah. this well- that was from yeah. Jacob. Like, why Why are you trying to introduce other things into this system? Yeah. <laughs> and like, I mean, we have a perfectly good well that goes, yeah. Right. It goes back, you know, a thousand years, 2,000 years. Right. And right. we don't need any more water. We got plenty of water. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, in that sense uh, of Johannine irony, mm-hmm. she is saying something that is actually true, right? Like, in John's understanding, Jesus is greater than Jacob. Right. Uh, but she says it in a way that, like, of course you're not. But, right. But she speaks a truth not understanding that she has spoken spoken the truth, John at least in John's like perspective. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Bobby, I'm so curious about water that you drink and then you'll never be thirsty again. My mind first went to, like, self-sufficiency like you'll never need to come back like this i'm sure this is not what john means but we've had this gathering place at the well for generations and this is where we've come together to get our needs met but now Mm. you won't need to do that anymore you'll drink once and can go live by yourself (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure that is not that i'm sure that's not what john was going for but that's interesting uh, what do you think John was going for? Yeah, I mean, you know, my first sort of reading of it is we're working on the level of like physical water gives you physical life. Mm-hmm. Metaphorical living water gives you eternal life. And so we're talking about two, they're not exactly different things, but they're two different planes. Sure. And the living water is, I think, the teaching of Jesus, maybe the Holy Spirit, but there's there's this sort of God thing that Jesus is bringing into the present that if you were able to drink from that, take that in, then your eternal life would be forever satisfied. 
I don't think he's trying to obviate the need for actual physical water. No, no, no. I, I didn't mean to suggest that either, but. But the call away from community is kind of an interesting question. I mean, should we draw out what well water would represent? Or do you think that's really not his point? So here's maybe, maybe here's a connection and then I, you can tell me what yeah. you think. I'm very much interested in this idea that the well is the center of community and that if you start drinking from a different well, it disrupts that community. Mm -hmm. It also enters you into a different community. Mm. So it's not that it separates you off as an individual, but now it joins you with other people who gather around this well, which is Jesus, Mm -hmm. which makes that other community. This is also the same idea of being born again, right? The, The family to which you were born in, family into which you were born mm-hmm. is no longer the family. When you're born again, you're born into a new family. And so maybe there is an attempt to disrupt it. I think that makes a lot of sense, but I don't think it addresses that you'll never be thirsty again. Well, I think that's just about the sense of your soul has a longing for mm-hmm. the fulfillment of things. And this message that I've got or this person that I am fulfills that longing. And so you're never going to thirst in that way, you're never going to be spiritually thirsty again because now, because now you've got it. Right? Yeah. That just sounds so boring. <laughs> yeah. Maybe so. Like spiritual hunger. No, but I, I, yeah. I can see, I guess I can see it in that fulfillment narrative. I guess the other connection we could make is, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we read Isaiah 55, ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Uh, and so this is sort of a, like there and a different kind of water is being offered, right? It's not simply like, hey, everybody come get something to drink, but it's, there's a new kind of abundance on offer represented by water. Yeah. And so if this is Jesus, this is Jesus's version of everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. But it still, is, it still ends you up in the sort of realm of messianic expectation. And, and, and here there is water freely given. Bobby, this story does not get more simple after this. It does not. Okay, should we let it get weirder? Yes. Okay. I'm okay with weird. I was thrown off when you said it was boring. <laughs> I'm, trying to, was I'm still boring. trying to recover from oh, uh, my whole thing. The about, fulfillment of yeah. things. You're like, that's boring. <laughs> like, no. I mean, there's, I like I have in my head all these all these different Jewish teachings, but one of them is like the, the idea that wisdom the whole point of, of wisdom is that it is that those who taste wisdom want more. Yeah, and that's a good thing. Uh, that so you, if you can drink this, then you're satisfied. But if you can drink it and you're satisfied, oh, I like that. that sounds like not. It sounds a little sad to me. I like but that. not sad. It's yeah. just a different. I have to think about it in a different. I have to think about it in a different way. No, that's actually that's really helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hi everyone, it's Bobby here from Bible Worm. We hope you're enjoying the podcast. Amy and I started Bible Worm a couple of years ago because we wanted to create a space where we could talk deeply about the Bible in ways that bring together our academic backgrounds in biblical studies and our deep engagement with communities and people of faith. We decided to make this resource free because we want everyone to have access to sound biblical scholarship that connects biblical faith to everyday life. We hope you're finding the podcast fits that need. That said, while the podcast is free, making it is not. 
Amy and I and the rest of Team Bibleworms spend a lot of time and energy studying, recording, and editing the podcast to make it freely available to the public. If you enjoy the podcast, and if you find yourself in a position to support our work, we hope that you will consider becoming a Bibleworm supporter for as little as $4 per month. For a bit more, you can also get early access to episodes, weekly liturgies, video Bible studies, join a monthly discussion group, and more. We realize not everyone is in a position to support the podcast, but if you appreciate our work and want to support us, we hope you'll check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast for more details. Thanks so much for listening, and now back to this week's podcast. Okay, I hope you have some wisdom, because this is about to really get very strange. Okay, I'm picking up in verse 16. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Bobby, is this woman married or not? She's not married, no. So, (laughs) this is such a simple-minded question. When Jesus says, the one you have now is not your husband. Yeah. So, okay, I'm supposed to go up to a different plane of thinking now. And no, think no, about, I think she's like, just shacking up. Very, like a oh, low plane. Oh, <laughs> so that other plane. Yeah, don't go up. Go the, go the other way. Yeah. Yeah. Mundane, mundane. Has she had five husbands? Yeah. I mean. <laughs> I can't tell what's happening. I, just I literally this, cannot tell what these words mean. I read this very literally. Okay, so great. you've been married five times. You are now no longer married. And you're living with a guy you're not married to. That's what I think it means. Okay. Some people have read this as like she's a sinful woman. She's kind of sexually promiscuous. And that's not mm-hmm. anywhere in the text. Yeah. You know, the question of why five, why five husbands is an interesting question. But I mean, you think of somebody like Tamar in Genesis 38, who's married, what, two times, three times to each of three times. Judah's sons. Yeah. He, she marries he two of them and then he refuses times. the third one. Yeah. But I think he eventually gives them the third one. Yeah. So, you know, one could read it this way. Like she's been widowed five times, but mm-hmm. you could read it as she's been divorced five times. Mm-hmm. In any case, for whatever reason, her marriages have not, lasted and so now she is i mean i and and we don't know why she's not married to this guy but she seems to be she needs a relationship in order to be a full member of community i suppose yeah but 
you know, I guess once you've been married, especially if your husbands die, like <laughs> at some point you get a reputation. I mean, that's what happened to Tamar, right? Yeah, um, at right. some point people don't want to marry you anymore. Right. That's true. That's true. That's so interesting. Cause I was trying to think like, what does it mean to say the one you have now is not your husband? Like he's not your real husband. Like he's not your rightful husband. Mm. He's not your, the, the church is your real husband. Like I really, I just went way out there about Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it might be an interesting kind of path to think down, but I, I really think the sort of mundane reading gets you maybe, maybe just gets as much you- in this case. What you need to know. We're forever saying John's working on different planes at the same time. And so then for now, just to be like, no, he just literally no, means. No, he's not. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's great. But I, okay. but I think that's the easiest reading of the text. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is Jesus knows her history. Yes. Right. <laughs> right. And so is is that why when she says, sir, I see that you're a prophet. <laughs> yeah. That's like how you read that. Like you. You you have insight into things that you should not. There's no reason you should know that. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. It, re- it reminds you of when Nathan he knew Nathaniel back in chapter one, and Nathaniel's like, "How do you know me?" He's like, "I saw you under the fig tree." Yeah, and Nathaniel's like, "Oh, you're you know you're the Lord or whatever." Uh, it's a it's a very <laughs> similar dynamic. Jesus yeah. is able to Jesus knows things that he has no way of knowing, right? And people recognize that, and they're like, "Oh, you're somebody." She gets to you're a prophet. And then do you think that prophet is the bridge into the next conversation? Because the conversation really shifts. It does. After that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, once you've evoked the word prophet, now you're in religious territory, not just in mm-hmm. like geographic mm-hmm. territory. And so now I, I mean, I don't quite know how she makes that move from your prophet to the where they worship. But mm-hmm. once you've recognized he's a Jewish prophet, I mean, it does raise all kinds of religious questions. And so I guess that's just sort of where she's gone to is like, wait a second, maybe I don't know whether to trust you. Like, is this the right place? Is that the right place? It's like being on an airplane. And when the person next to you asks what you do for a living, you can't actually tell them you're a pastor because then yeah. they're going to like confess to you or do it, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like once once they know that you're or they believe they know that you're a religious authority, it changes it changes the conversation entirely. It does. And, you know, w- when you're saying that, like one of the things that I've I've noticed in that way is that there's a sort of like little awkward dance when people find out that I'm a pastor, that I they're trying to figure out like what sort of pastor you are, which is like, mm-hmm. do you, mm-hmm. like, what do you think about women? What do you think about gay people? Mm-hmm. But you can't just ask that. So you say mm-hmm. like, well, what denomination are you? Or you say like, you like there's ways of asking Mm-hmm. But I, I wonder if you could read her question sort of that way is like she's feeling out like, I don't know how like I don't know how to feel about the fact that you're a prophet. So let me kind of test the test the territory a little bit. Yeah, I'm just thinking back to their, you know, the beginning of their exchange where she's like, we really sh- I'm not sure we should even be talking to each other. Yeah. And now she sees him as, you know, possibly in a religious yes. authority. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, so then she goes back to explaining yeah. the the this you know core of the tension between their Oh, that's nice. peoples. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. It's the same conversation but on a different level of, you know, it's not just personal anymore. Yeah, right. It's not just personal, it's not just like these are the social norms. Yeah. 
And this is the core of the issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a lot of questions about, okay, so that, so then Jesus says to her, you know, the time is coming that it's not going to be on your mountain. It's not going to be in Jerusalem. Yeah. Okay, great. That, that makes, that makes good sense to me. Yeah. The next part does not make sense to me. You worship what you do not know. Yeah. We worship, we Jews worship? Who's that's the I we? Think. We Jews? That's what I think. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Yes. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I think what Jesus has said is, look, you Samaritans got it wrong. <laughs> Gerizim <laughs> is not the right place. <laughs> Jerusalem is the right place. But it doesn't matter. The Jews, the Judean Jews really are the people of God. Samaritans like, nice try. <laughs> like, y'all are great. But in fact, the Jews, the Jews are right. But it doesn't matter because the time is coming. And then he says, and is here, which is also important, right. where none of that matters anymore. And then I think salvation is from the Jews means Jesus is the fulfillment of yeah. Jewish, not just the Torah, which the Samaritans also read, but also Jewish prophecy. So Jesus is coming out of Judaism. Salvation comes from the Jews. The Jews are God's people. The Jews are Jesus's people. I really like that. I really like that it's like, okay, fine. I'll settle your question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Now I'm looking to see if she seems to understand that, but I don't know if we know. I mean, so Jesus makes this interesting move in 23. He says, the time is coming and is here. Mm-hmm. And so he has done two things there, sort of. eschatologically is to say there is a time, there is a future time in which this is taking place. There is a messianic age, which both you and the Jews are expecting, but the, and it's here is different to say, you know, we've seen this before with Jesus that that time has arrived in me. She doesn't get that part. Do you mean here? Like physically here? Yeah. Yeah. It is here. Like the the time has arrived and also I have arrived Mm -hmm. and the kingdom of heaven is here. Yeah. She gets that, I know the Messiah is coming. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think she's conne- trying to make the connection. Like, are you that? Are you the Messiah? I think she's asking. She hasn't quite said it that way. But she only gets the future part of it. I don't know if she's asking yet because, I don't know, it sounds like she says the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he'll explain all this. Yeah. That's how I read her. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I think that's open to both of those readings, actually. Maybe yours is the more plain sense reading. I mean, like the more obvious reading or the <laughs> the more correct reading well, is no. just to say that he she is saying, this is all very confusing. The Messiah is going to come and clear it up. And maybe mm-hmm. she's not gesturing to him. But then he, but like, I think more clearly than we've seen so far in John, like just says, I, I am. Yeah. I am he. So my, I have a little note in my translation that the Greek is just, I am instead yeah. of I am he, which is such a lovely tie to God's presentation of God's self in the burning bush. Yes. You no know, one Moses says, what, what should we call you? <laughs> and the name is something like 
I I am what I am or I will be what I will be or yeah. I, whatever. Some it's just it's just a bunch of being. Yeah. I exist. That's <laughs> that's God's name. Yeah. So just having I am here is a really nice. That's right. And I think that translational issue is really important. Like I am he loses that sense. It loses it. Yeah. Jesus just says ego me, which is the same thing that God says to Moses in the in the Septuagint. So I am much clearer mm. uh, in terms of like Jesus has not only said I am the Messiah, but has sort of got the divine self-revelation on, on his lips. Yeah. Yeah. So picking up in verse 27. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, surely no one has brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say, Four months more, then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. I I am I know that you mentioned before that there are these Jewish texts that sort of that say that maybe men and women shouldn't be talking to each other if they're not related. And I just want to underscore also that there are also many stories where they do talk to each other. Yeah you know, in, in the same body of literature that you were talking about. Yeah. So I don't know if it was sort of like a rule that people s- sort of followed or didn't always follow, but I think it's interesting that this opens with the disciples being so shocked. Yeah. And the text really going out of its way to to point out to us that they were shocked but didn't ask anything. Yeah. What? I don't know. Why, did, why do you think it's important that they didn't say anything? Yeah, I mean, to me, the first point there is, is important. Like there, there are some social expectations that are at work here and how broadly mm-hmm. those were shared. I don't know, but they were clearly operative in the time period and they were operative both with the Samaritan woman and now also with these Jewish disciples. And they're all like, yeah. Oh my goodness. What's happening. Mm-hmm. The fact that they don't say anything. I mean, we've, we've seen this in other gospels too, that the disciples, I think, I think they just are <laughs> scared of, you yeah. know, like we don't want to look Jesus makes people feel ridiculous sometimes when they say things. <laughs> yeah. And so we don't want to be that. And so they just don't say anything. But they, defini- but they definitely are, are saying it to each other. Okay. So the woman goes back to her town, right? Yeah. I, she certainly starts, she seems to be thinking here, like, maybe, maybe he is the Messiah. Yeah. I don't know. But what's, what stands out to her is, you know, as we mentioned before, that this this sort of like prophet that he yeah. knows everything about her. It's not yeah. anything about the 
more abstract theological conversation that they were having, which I actually find really, I don't know, sort of warm and fuzzy. Like it's, (laughs) I don't know, like it, and again, like we've talked about before in John that sometimes the on-ramp doesn't have to be so big and complicated. And if you are, if what you are taken by is the fact that Jesus knows these things about you, okay, yeah, that'll do it. No, I love that. And, you know, there's a clear echo in this story with the the prophecy that she's like, wow, somebody knows some things about me and the come and see. Like, this is bringing mm-hmm. us back yes. to that yes. John 1 and the call of those first disciples. Yes. And, I mean, it's fascinating, yes, that there's sort of a an easier entryway. Just come and take a look, right? Mm-hmm. And I think she's making a move like, you're a prophet. The Messiah is coming. He's not the Messiah, is he? Yeah. Right. She's sort of like, yeah, she's headed in the right direction. She hasn't gotten there yet, but she yep. knows enough to go and bring other people too. Yep. And the fact that, you know, she is a Samaritan woman. And so like the way that the good news about Jesus is getting out into the world is through like it, it has now crossed the boundaries quite literally mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. Judaism into other parts of the world. And, and it's done it through this woman who maybe Jesus officially wasn't supposed to be talking to anyway. And she's the one who goes in. I mean, she goes and evangelizes, basically. She goes and gets her whole yeah. town to come. Yeah. I mean, whereas the other disciples brought, like, a guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She goes go and get gets my her brother. whole. Yeah. yeah. She gets the whole bunch of people from her city. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So we've read enough, John, now for me to not be totally surprised by this food conversation, although it's still very entertaining. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's so complicated. Yeah. Can you draw out just a little bit Jesus's statement, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work? Yeah. In what way is that like food? It's just the thing that gets you up in the morning keeps you like uh, that's the thing that's your real mm. the the thing that really is keeping me alive i think is mm-hmm. doing the work right so mm-hmm. yeah that's that's what i think he's saying like the real sustenance of my life mm-hmm. is doing the will of god and so should it be in yours too i think is is mm-hmm. implied there at least i don't need your stinking bread yeah, I mean, there, there is this interesting, and, you know, I pushed back really hard uh, the first time we talked about John about this sort of spiritual, bodily, material duality. But in this text, it's like, there is a sense in this text that it, like, okay, bread and water, whatever. But what really matters is living water and mm-hmm. spiritual bread. And, you know, yeah. So that's different than saying that the human being is comprised of uh, flesh and so at a spirit that are s- separate, but and mm-hmm. there is a sense in which the spiritual side of things is what really matters in this gospel, and the and the material stuff is is a little less to the front. Yeah. What do you make of all this harvesting stuff? I mean, <laughs> I just I really I wrote down a lot of questions. So, so am I understanding correctly? It's reaping time already, right? Yeah. And we're, <laughs> this makes me seem like the Grim Reaper, like we're reaping souls. No, that sounds, that sounds like the Grim Reaper. Har- let's say we're harvesting souls. Okay. We're, yeah. That sounds maybe a little bit better. Yeah. It doesn't sound great, but it sounds better. So 
who is the, my question is like, who is the reaper and who is the sower in this metaphor? Do you, is there an easy answer to that? For me, the reaper is in verse 38, I have sent you to harvest what you didn't work for. Others worked hard and you will share in their hard work. Right. That is Jesus saying to the disciples, you are the harvesters. And so there's, I think what's happening here is the harvesting is the like gathering in of the people of God who are, they're out there, they're ready, but they don't know yet, right? And so go and bring people in. The sower is less clear to me, whether it's Mm -hmm. God has sown in various ways, which Mm -hmm. is kind of how I tend to want to read it, or whether Jesus is the one who is sowing. But I tend to want to think it's bigger than just Jesus, that there's like, God mm-hmm. has been at work for a very long time. The word has gone out in all kinds of different ways. And, th- and now the time is ripe. I really like that. The idea that people are, people are out there all over the world and are ready. Yeah. But this last piece has to happen. They have to be gathered. You know, this is an interesting eschatological image. And you see it sort of a version of this in some of the other gospels where it's like the end time is the reaping of the field. But here it's again, it's happening now, right? Mm-hmm. So we've got, we continue to see this theme in John that what is often thought of as being future end time stuff is unfolding already in the time of Jesus. So the, the field is ready to be gathered now. It's not just mm-hmm. wait until it's time to gather. Yeah. So, so then in, in that general understanding, others have labored and you have entered into their labor. I don't know. That's, it's a kind of nice. You know, we could talk about God having planted the seeds, but it is kind of nice to think of like there have been a lot of forces in the universe and like aspects of different traditions that have prepared us for this moment. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And, you know, Jesus has just gotten finished saying salvation comes from the Jews. And so I I think he's very much continuing that line of thinking, like the covenant with the Jews and God's work through the Jews has fertilized the field, planted Mm -hmm. the field. Like this has been happening for a long time. Yeah. But now it's being gathered in. So this, there's not a radical break with Judaism that's taking place in the gospel of John, Mm -hmm. but there is a, like Jesus is the fulfillment of Judaism. And so if you're Mm -hmm. not on board with Mm -hmm. that, it's Mm -hmm. less clear, like, Mm -hmm. okay, well then what do you do then? It's not devaluing the tradition, but it is saying, okay, The tradition yeah, ends no, here. I really hear that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's not like nothing bad has happened. Yeah. But but things but yeah, but we're at this moment and there's yeah. a there's a turning point that is non-negotiable. That's exactly it. Yeah. All right. Should I read these last couple verses? Let's do it. Okay. So I'm picking up then in 39. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for Mm. we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. I love that ending. Yeah. So can you say more about, like, the nature of that? I think it just, the nature of my love. I I mean, I think it just... (laughs) It, like we keep circling around this thing a lot in John, but I really like it that, you know, people have to have to share their stories and someone else's story is like an entry point. Like eventually yes. you will need your own story. Mm-hmm. 
But there are a lot of ways to get to the point of having your own story, you know, yes. and like we saw disciples called directly by Jesus and brought in by their brothers and brought in by this woman who was like, he knew my whole life. So like, there are a lot of things that could bring you in and it's all fine. Like, yes. <laughs> whatever brings you to the table is all good. I love that. And if it's, you know, like... Jesus is a crazy magician and he knows my whole life story and, you know, fine. But that's what opens the door. I love that. And I love what you, where you started to, to say, you know, their last thing they said is we no longer believe because of what you said, but we heard mm-hmm. for ourselves. So yeah. like we got here because of your story. Yes. Now we have created our own story, which is not a different story, but it's, but it's our own story. I love yeah. that. So it's not enough to just believe based on what somebody else tells you. Yeah. But that's a perfectly wonderful starting place. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. 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 You also get this really, I mean, this one is truly the savior of the world, is a pretty spot on declaration of who Jesus is, according to the Gospel of John. Mm-hmm. Like, savior of the world can mean some kinds of different things, but it's like, I mean, like, it's a big deal to be the savior of the world. Yeah. 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 No, that's a really good point. And it's in some ways even more than saying like the Messiah. Oh, Because Messiah had whatever, you know, associations it had for the Jewish community in the Hebrew Bible and assuming the Samaritans had sort of similar ones. Savior of the world is bigger. Yeah, (laughs) it is. Yeah, so we've seen rabbi, prophet, teacher. We've seen son of God along the way, which is pretty big too. Yeah. But savior of the world is sort of making a claim that is beyond. And it's interesting that that's on the mouth of Samaritans because they listen to the testimony of a, of a Samaritan woman who is five times divorced or, or what have you. Mm-hmm. So this story, which started in confusion similarly to the way the Nicodemus story started in confusion, has ended with a very clear statement about what is true, where the Nicodemus story didn't really get us all the way there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Bobby, this text covered a lot of ground, like really a lot. Do I say that every time now? We say say that that every every time time. now. Yes. Okay. Good. I think it is something about John's gospel that's kind of like that. This is a long text. Yeah. But also John's gospel is just so thick. And there's so many things like that are happening and any, every sentence can be understood in so many ways. And it's grappling after these deep philosophical truths. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot to, to this. So of all of those many things, what feel, what's pressing on you right now? To me, what is most interesting here is that this is an interaction between Jesus, the Jewish man, and the Samaritan woman that takes place in Samaria and is introduced with this notion that Jesus had to go to Samaria, which I read theologically. Like, this is the way the story had to happen. Mm -hmm. Jesus Mm -hmm. had to go there so Jesus could have this conversation so this woman could come to understand whatever she understood and go and invite other people. I also think it's so interesting that the people in this story, the woman herself and then the disciples, have their initial reaction is shaped by cultural expectations. We ought not be having this conversation. 
that's the way she responds to him. That's the way the disciples internally anyway respond when they see the conversation taking place. And Jesus just isn't playing that game, right? Mm-hmm. He's just like, he's not, he, he starts out with just a very casual, like, could I have a drink of water, <laughs> right? It's, it's just like basic, I am a human treating you as a human and I don't care about the categories into which we fit. And then he goes on to say those categories are not going to matter anymore about where you worship, right? It's mm-hmm. simply in this new time, we are all gathering around <laughs> me. <laughs> We're all gathering around the word. We're all gathering around <laughs> the living one. Yeah. Right? yeah. So I just think this is so important in terms of like, we live in a world that's so interested in dividing us up. And I play in that game all the time in, in various ways about who are my people and who are not my people and who, who do mm-hmm. I talk to and who can I learn from? And this text, I think one of the messages here is the way that the story of Jesus got spread around the world is Jesus had a very straightforward conversation with someone he was not supposed to be talking to. And she took him seriously enough to go and talk to her people about it. And this is the way that the good news of the gospel that results in this harvest that we're talking about at the end, this is the way it gets started. Mm-hmm. And so there is a, an invitation there, I think, to all of us also to be having conversations that cross the lines that the world tells us, to just treat people like human beings, to search for the truth in what, in what is being said. And this is the way. This, the community no longer gathers in Gerizim and in Jerusalem, right? Mm-hmm. The community gathers together. We're, we're, born in a new, we're born in a new way to a new family, to a new community. I think there's something really important about that. I love that. And I, and I love thinking especially about the kinds of things that like the, the sets of rules that, that hold us back from talking to each other now and from talking to each other, you know, way back in biblical times. But I'm struck in particular that it is a woman that he's talking to yes. that is ultimately able to put aside the rules enough to have yes. enough of a conversation with him. And just how, you know, still today when there are people who are, uh, they're part of a system, but the system wasn't ac- exactly built with them in mind, yeah. <laughs> you know, that sometimes that's, those are the places to start conversation because people are not quite so bought in to the I system and maybe not yeah. afraid of what will happen if the system changes because- the system's kind of meh anyway, (laughs) you know? And then when you compare this text to the one we read last time with Nicodemus, who very much was invested in the system, it was built for him. And he came in the dark of night, had a conversation in a cloaked manner and didn't get all the way to where, to where she gets. I love that. There's, there's something about outsiders to the system or open to possibilities. And when, in, like, even a step further, when she, you know, we noticed that there's a kind of abrupt scene change when it seems yeah. like nothing has been quite determined. And she goes back to her people telling them what has happened, but without any real interpretation of, I mean, she sounds yeah. like, could he be, the, with a question. Yeah. You know, and I think sometimes people who have uh-huh. risen to a position of leadership feel like they can't just come back with a question. Yeah. And see what the whole community is going to say about it. They feel like they have to have something to figure figured out. And so when Nicodemus doesn't, it just kind of dies with him. I where you were headed there too with the come and see and the the gentleness of that. Just come take a look. I think 
I think that yeah. We've, yeah. we've talked about that in various ways this spring, but in my mind that it's is really important. strong here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's part of what I'm experiencing at John generally is that like it is really dense and hard to understand. And it's like instead of moving, like it's not quite linear, it's cyclical. Like and yeah. it keeps sort of cycling us through the same ideas. So if you didn't quite get it, yeah. The, in the last story, don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> It'll come up again in the next story. <laughs> yeah. And it just, it allows it to sort of wash over you over time. And, and, yeah. um, and that's a good, that's a good thing. Yeah. Mm, well, who is, mm, mm. who is on first? Come and see. Just come, come check it come out. Too. Let's go to first and then we'll just check it out. <laughs> <laughs> Well, next week, we're going to check out the end of this chapter. Um, We are reading John chapter 4, verses 46 to 54, which is the end of the chapter, and possibly the beginning of chapter 5. Those verses are in brackets. and We we always do the bracketed stuff. We always do the brackets. Let's be honest. I've never met a bracket I didn't want to read. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful. Beautiful. All right, Amy, thanks for this conversation. I'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Bible Worm. If you've enjoyed this free podcast, we hope you'll help us keep it going by joining our Patreon for as little as $4 per month. You can also sign up for other goodies like early access, video lectures, weekly liturgies, and more. Visit patreon.com slash Podcast for details. Bibleworm is produced by Bobby Williamson and edited by Joel and Laura Becker. Our theme song is sung by Colin Bagby. We're grateful to our many supporters for helping us keep the podcast going. A special thank you to our executive producer, Fox Valley Presbyterian Church in Geneva, Illinois, and to our newest supporters, Christina Tingwa, Beth Schultz-Burns, and Jeremy Hyland. Join us again next week when we will finish this chapter, reading John chapter 4, verses 46 to 54, and chapter 5, verses 1 through 18. Until then, keep on digging.